Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast. Brandon Bolin uh, joins me once again. He's becoming a regular on this show. I promise you, Ed Hunt is going to be back next week, but I've enjoyed having Brandon on, and uh, he's been sharing some knowledge with me in terms of, you know, college football and the NFL. Brandon, welcome to the show again. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. It's always a great time. Obviously, this is an exciting time because training camp has opened up. Most teams are in full pads right now as we speak. Fall camp for college football programs has started for some teams or is right around the corner for others. But the biggest news, I think, to come out in the past like two weeks is the college football realignment. And officially, the Texas Longhorns and the Oklahoma Sooners are going to be joining the SEC conference in 2025. So this isn't going to happen next year. But it's right around the corner. The SEC, the conference that rules the day in college football, just got stronger, Brandon. You know, this is pretty exciting. It's also pretty crazy. It completely changes uh, what could be happening to the Big 12 and to the rest of college football. You know, it, it could lead to one, you know, like super, super conference, one juggernaut conference, you know, adding Oklahoma, who's consistently you know one of the top four teams in the league always making the play or college football always making the playoffs just got into an even stronger division so it i think it's great for the programs itself for texas and oklahoma i don't know how it's going to affect the rest of of college football but for those two teams it means they're getting more money um so better for recruiting better for the players i think it's a great move for those two teams but for the rest of college football i don't know how this is going to make it look it's great for the SEC because, I mean, the Texas yeah. the Texas Longhorns, they have like 100,000 fans at their home games. The Oklahoma Sooners pull in about 80-plus thousand fans at their home games. So you know there's a lot of money involved because, I mean, the Sooners and the Longhorns, it doesn't get any bigger than that. The River Showdown just moves down to the SEC. I just have a feeling that I realize that the college football playoff is probably going to keep expanding that it's not going to be four teams i'm sure it's going to go probably to eight but can you imagine having like four sec teams in the college football playoff that's not going to be good for college football as a whole no i i agree with you 100 percent um you know, there's still all these other divisions where you have like the big 10 with ohio state and stuff like that but i mean like you said the sec has four or five of the top six seven teams in the nation you know it's i read something that the college football playoffs could be expanding to 12 teams eventually so that would be nice but if we're sticking to the four-team format for the years upcoming there's a serious chance that it is all sec teams which is it, it is a big hit for college football i just don't know where big 12 goes from here because now the the power teams in this conference the top dogs i guess is iowa state and we talked about Matt Campbell two weeks ago. Oklahoma State doesn't have those sexy names anymore. I mean, where do they go from here? Do they pull in some Pac-12 teams? I'm probably they're going to try to expand, maybe get Utah, maybe get Arizona. 
I mean, I would assume that they'll try to pick at the Pac-12 in order to expand there. And then the Pac-12 is going to pick on the Mountain West Conference. And then the Mountain West Conference might just dissolve altogether. You know, I always say, like, if there's one big power conference, it's not good for the parity of college football because who do you have left? I mean, Oklahoma moves to the SEC, and then in the SEC we have, you know, Georgia, Alabama, right? We're only left with, like, Ohio State, who is, like, the top dog out of the Big Ten, and that's about it. I don't see any other powerhouses out there. The beauty of college football is that you get – you know, a few teams from different conferences in the college football playoff, teams that don't normally face off against each other, and then they get those the big showdowns at the end of the year. We're going to get Oklahoma against Georgia. We're going to get Oklahoma against Alabama. It's not going to have that intrigue any longer, like at the end of the year. So I don't think it's good for college football. I understand that this is a money move. I understand why the presidents are doing this. I understand why the the SEC commissioner is is all for this. They want to make this a super, you know, big time, you know, conference and that's what they're doing right now, but it's going to have repercussions for the other conferences involved and I think the Big 12, the Pac-12, the Mountain West Conference, they're not going to look the same the way they've looked in the past. And I'm sure that the American, the AAC, is also going to get picked apart. I mean, teams are going to look at, like, UCF and Cincinnati, you know, teams that have risen, you know, in the past few years. And those teams are going to be attractive, possibly, to conferences like the Big 12. Yeah, you know, I completely see where you're coming from. And this could honestly lead to, like, some, some big waterfall effect. Like you said, it's going to start picking all these other divisions apart. And, you know, eventually what are we going to be left with? Ohio State's the only, you know, the only juggernaut left outside of the SEC pretty much anymore. So does this lead to, you know, just a couple of super divisions, you know, like with a bunch of teams in the in the near future? Yeah, it's it's a huge question mark right now, and I think that's something that we're going to, you know, be keeping an eye on. But the repercussions are coming. Um, you know, when the story leaked out, you knew it was going to happen. Where there's smoke, there's fire. It continued, and then, you know, they, they made the move pretty quickly. Again, the SEC is the big winner here. I think the losers in this, the rest of college football, and the rest of the conferences involved. Let's stay with the college football theme. The past few years, we've gotten used to Ohio State, Oklahoma, Alabama, Georgia, uh, Clemson being in the college football playoffs. I mean, it's almost like there's no surprise anymore. There's no element of surprise in the college football playoff anymore. And so Brandon and I decided to play this little game. We we want to keep people interested a little bit. We realize that those teams will continue to be the, the big powerhouses in college football. But who do you think might spoil that party? Who do you think is that team that is on the cusp that isn't normally in the college football playoff every year but could make it there you know uh a team that you know was actually really close to getting in last year is somebody who i still think has a chance to do that this year and that's texas a&m they were the fifth ranked team in the nation i believe last year and the team didn't really get worse their offense is incredibly impressive you have probably the best starting tight end in college football who's going to be a first rounder you have an underrated defense and the pass catchers at texas a&m it's just there's so much depth on every side of the ball 
you know, coming off of that year where you miss it by a game, I think they're only getting better right now. Uh, Texas A&M is one team that I have for sure. And another team that we kind of were talking about last or two weeks ago with Matt Campbell is Iowa State. Iowa State made it to the Big 12 championship game, and, you know, they, they got their butt kicked. Uh, Matt Campbell is somebody who said he wants to build that culture and prove himself. He, he went there to, you know, to make Iowa State that team again. If they can pull out wins against Oklahoma, that's the only thing really standing in their way. If they can beat Oklahoma, um, I can see them getting into the college football playoffs. I want to remind you, I mean, the Aggies lost a four-year starting quarterback in Kellen Mond. I realize that Jimbo Fisher is a quarterback's guru, but last year was their season. That was the year that, you know, they had an opportunity to make it. Obviously, they chose Notre Dame over Texas A&M. Do you think it's realistic by pulling in a new quarterback? You know, you've got some other, but you know, you're going to have to rely on that running game a little bit more. You're going to have to rely on that defense. And and the Aggies still play in a very, very tough conference, which is the SEC. You still have Georgia. You still have Alabama. Yeah, no, I I don't think it'll be a cakewalk whatsoever. You know, losing Kellen Mond is a huge hit, but if any team can, you know, kind of regroup after losing their star quarterback, I do think it is Texas A&M just because of the, the sheer depth they have at pretty much every offensive position. You have three incredibly talented running backs. Your your receiving core is above average. And you have, argue, like I said, the best tight end in the nation. You know, like you said, they're, they're going to have to go through teams like Georgia and such, but it's about being able to win those big games. I, I honestly, I can see them pulling off an upset. We see it in college football every single year. I'm not saying that this is a team that, oh, you, you know for a fact is going to, but if there's any team that kind of you want to you wanna peek at, I think it is Texas A&M. Well, so you went with the sexy name. You went with Matt Campbell and Iowa State, and they, they seem to be on the cusp, and they've got Brock Purdy, and they've got the running game, and you know their defense should still be solid. So I'm with you on Iowa State. I think Texas A&M is, is going to fall off that, this year. I just think quarterback means a lot, and you need to have that guy under center. Kellen Mond started over like had over 40 starts under his belt, so... I'm with you on Iowa State. I'll be pulling for them. I think Texas A&M is going to lose like three or four games. I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bearcats. I realize that, you know, for the college football playoff, you need to go with the Big Ten, the SEC, or the ACC. You need to go with the bigger conference. I'm going with the AAC team. But the Cincinnati Bearcats, I mean, they played really well last year. Luke Fickle is another head coach that has built – a heck of a program out there for the Cincinnati Bearcats. And I'm sure that the NFL is also going to be calling him. They're also going to be, you know, asking him whether he is, he's willing to leave the Bearcats or not. And they've got a quarterback in Desmond Ritter who started a lot of games for them. If you want to make it to the college football playoff, you need to have a leader. You need to have, you know, a guy that can make some things happen. Ritter has got a strong arm. He's a dual threat quarterback. And he started quite a you know a lot of games out there. They've got an experienced defense. They have a lot of pieces back. They've got a Mark Gardner coming back at corner. He's going to be a first round pick. They've got Sanders, who is a defensive end that causes a lot of havoc behind the line of scrimmage. I'm going to go with the Bearcats. I realize that I'm going against you know common sense. Again, usually you you need to pick a Power Five conference. And you need to go with that team. But I'm 
I'm a believer in the Bearcats. I, I think this year, you know, I realize that most likely Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama are going to be there. But I think Cincinnati has got a shot. And uh, the Bearcats would be my number one team. The second team I'm going to go with, and they've been here before, so I'm cheating a little bit, but it's the Georgia Bulldogs. I think Kirby Smart, you know, he's taken a little bit of a step back the last couple of years. I mean, he's been losing those big games, but they've got a quarterback, you know, out there in JT Daniels, the USC transfer. He got rolling in the second half of the season. He got that deep ball going. You know the Georgia Bulldogs always rely on the running game. Now they have a quarterback. They have, they're have they still going to have one of the top defenses out there. They always reload. They always have guys that, you know, great linebackers and a good secondary. So I think Kirby Smart this year is going to be able to pull it off. That's another team that could sneak in along with, like, Alabama from the SEC. No, I, I honestly, I really like uh, what you said about Cincinnati. Um, they they had such an impressive season last year, and it is tough to pick a team out of outside of the Power Five schools. But if any team can do that, it's absolutely Cincinnati. Yeah, and Luke Fickle is one of my favorite college f- football head coaches out there. You know, I'm a I'm a big fan of you know guys like Matt Campbell, Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day. I really am, but. Yeah, I always admire coaches that are able to just come in and start from scratch and just take over a program that was just out there, that was in the dust, basically. And you just recruit guys. And he's not recruiting like four or five-star guys. He's taking these hardworking, blue-collar type of three-star recruits, and his coaching staff knows how to develop them. And they've been doing an excellent job. They're not pulling in these huge recruits, but they seem to have an eye for talent. They seem to know what type of guys they want for that program. And I just really admire that coaching staff and the way they develop um, overall those players. Every year they seem to reload. The last two or three years, I mean, this program has been growing. And I just think they're ready to take that step up, especially, again, they've got an experienced quarterback and they've got a really good defense. I take my hat off to Luke Fickle and the rest of that coaching staff because the the Bearcats are definitely building something. I just have a feeling that some bigger program is going to come calling. I don't know if he's going to accept, you know, a a Michigan Wolverines job. He's a former Ohio State assistant. He's coaching the Cincinnati Bearcats, and that would just be really weird if he goes to Michigan. But I think Luke Fickle is going to be a hot name out there for some huge program in college football, and I'm sure the NFL is also going to be looking in his direction. If Cincinnati can pull off wins against you know some of the, some of the top teams they play like Notre Dame and Indiana, you know they could be that one of the first teams to be outside of a Power Five to make the playoffs for sure. I'm hoping for that. I realize there's a bias out there against the non-Power Five conferences. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you play in the SEC or the Big Ten or the Big 12, even the Pac-12 doesn't even get the respect that they deserve, right? They're usually kind of like that fourth conference that usually gets left out. For the college football uh, playoff, they usually prefer, you know, a second SEC team, or they might pull in another Big Ten team. I mean, they would love for Michigan to have a great year, right? But... The Pac-12 usually gets left in the dust, and we always talk about, you know, Cincinnati and UCF. We're like, yeah, they're good, but they don't play in the SEC. That always seems to be a little bit of a bias. So I'm pulling for the little guys here. 
I'm hoping they're going to be able to uh, to get it done this year. So uh, Bearcats all the way, as they say. Training camp has opened up uh, a lot of stories around the league, you know, always finding out which guys are stepping up out there. And the biggest training camp story to come out is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers had a standoff with the Green Bay Packers during the offseason. You and I talked about this, Brandon. But, you know, he had to give in. Uh, The Packers didn't budge. Uh, They weren't trading him. You know, it was either Aaron Rodgers was going to retire or he was going to show up to the Green Bay Packers. Well, he did. He showed up. He had a huge press conference. He answered all the questions, kind of opened up about a lot of things out there. Obviously, it's great for the Packers that he's back. It's another chance to go for that Super Bowl because they're an experienced team. But who do you think is the winner in this whole thing? Do you think this is his last year in Green Bay? Oh, yeah. I I am almost positive this is going to be his last year in Green Bay. I think that it might even him as well as Devontae Adams because that that post they had on Instagram where both of them posted that picture of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen um, bumping fists for the last dance that that has to be that has to be somewhat of a, a sign or something. And you know the way Aaron Rodgers has handled training camp, and you know he's been there. He the way he's perceiving himself is I'm here, and you're not going to do anything about what I do because I'm the only reason this team is in contention. And in the way he's talking about the front office in that press conference and stuff, if you're planning on being here for longevity, even more than you know, two, two, three years, you're not going to be talking about the office like that. You know, it's, you know, it's a now or never situation. Um, he knows how unhappy his number one receiver, Devontae Adams, is with the Packers front office. Adams has even expressed that this is very likely his last season with Green Bay as well. I can't see Aaron Rodgers coming back after this. We realize that the NFL is, is a business. You're just a number. It doesn't matter who you are. Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. I mean, we realize that anybody could leave. Anybody is expendable out there. How are teammates going to respond? How are teammates going to look at Aaron Rodgers? Because every indication was, you know, he was trying to use his power and he was trying to get out of Green Bay. How do you think those guys are going to respond in the locker room? I think a lot of the, you know, people in Green Bay kind of understand that, you know, Green Bay does kind of have a problem with, you know, how they treat their superstars. And Aaron Rodgers, you know, uh, pointed it out in the press conference. He named all those players that have been kind of treated wrongly by that organization. So I can't see anybody on the Packers losing any sort of respect or, you know, having their feelings changed in a way. Um, If you look at the Packers roster – other than guys like, you know, like Sedarius Smith and Devontae Adams, there's not too many insane superstars. I mean, you have Aaron Jones, and you have you have solid football players, but you don't have those guys you need to lock down for seven years. I don't think they're going to look much deeper into this than they, than they already are. I think they're going to understand that, you know, this is a guy that's been here for a very, very long time, and he hasn't gotten what he's you know, asked for while he's, you know, kind of provided. He's had multiple MVP seasons, and they've kind of done done things here and there to discredit him in a way. And earlier this offseason, they, they cut one of his favorite upcoming receivers without his out asking him. So they kind of understand that they've been doing him wrong in a way. So whatever he decides to do, I can't see the rest of the organization 
looking down on him, but I also don't think it's going to affect the way they look at the Packers. I think it's much more of a one-on-one relationship than it is how they will treat the rest of the team, you know? You mentioned, I mean, the Packers have a history of not treating their superstars right. I mean, Brett Favre, he was the darling in Green Bay. I mean, he was the face of the franchise, right? But they drafted Aaron Rodgers in the first round, and he eventually became his replacement. We all know how Brett Favre was kind of run out of town. He went to the Vikings, then he played with the Jets. I think what Aaron Rodgers was trying to do was he was trying to dictate where he was going to go. He didn't want to go to some, you know, poor franchise. He basically wanted to let Green Bay Packers know that, hey, I want to win. And I think that's the reason why he pulled this power trip a little bit. He just, he didn't want the Packers to do him wrong the way they did Brett Favre wrong. And he saw that unfold when he was a young player. And he knew exactly what was coming because they did the same thing. I mean, they drafted Jordan Love and, and the writing was on the wall. I just I love the way Aaron Rodgers responded. He saw that they drafted the future quarterback in the first round. What did he do? He led them to the NFC Conference Championship game, and he won an MVP award. He arguably had his best season in like six or seven years because a lot of people were saying that he was done. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I love how he handled it. You know, he, he showed that, you know, I just had this MVP season for you. I proved to you I still got it, and you guys want to go out and draft my replacement. Like, I understand that you're worrying about the future, but, you know, we, we have me right now. We got to win right now. Help me help me get these guys to help me win right now. You know, drafting love, I can understand you're worrying about your future, but you have a guy that, like you said, just had an MVP season. So you obviously didn't know he was going to have that MVP season, but you know you have you have Aaron Rodgers behind behind center. So it doesn't matter if he's going to have a good or a bad year in his sense. Any year with Aaron Rodgers is a good year. With the team that they had developed already, you're, you're a few pieces away from being that Super Bowl team, and then you go out and get the quarterback for the future. I, I completely am on board with Aaron Rodgers being upset about the situation and, you know, kind of, kind of grabbing it by the ears and saying, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in control here. You guys, I, I have more power than you think I do. Brandon, how good are the Packers this year? Now that Rodgers is back, you and I did a, a top five power ranking, and we didn't put the Packers in the top five, right? So I don't think we did. Yeah, I don't think we did. I mean, we we had like, you know, we were debating, we put the Bucks out there, right? And we think the Bucks are probably the the top team because they just they're coming off a Super Bowl and they you know, they they have the same team coming back and they've got, you know, TB12 under center. How good are you think the the Packers are this year and do you think it's realistic when you look at this team? Do you think they'll make it back to the NFC Conference Championship game? I honestly I can't say that I don't see them in the NFC Championship game because you know every year they it doesn't matter what who's on their roster Aaron Rodgers is going to find a way to get them there. Uh, the only reason I can't say I see them being that Super Bowl team is you didn't necessarily upgrade the defense and that was what was holding you back all of last season and especially in that NFC Championship game. Yes, you drafted Eric Stokes in the first round, but I don't think that was the best available uh, you know cornerback or even defensive back at that at that point so if the only real upgrade you made was eric stoke i can't see you going any further than they did last year I could even argue that the rams might take their spot in that game i don't think they're going to get much worse at all but 
They, they did nothing to get better. They didn't get Aaron Rodgers any more offensive weapons. You know, at least they're, they're bringing back Aaron Jones on that long contract, but there's, there's nothing new in Green Bay. There's nothing that's going to, you know, change what, what happened last year to put them over the edge again. So I, I, I could see them getting to the NFC Championship, but there's zero chance they win it in my eyes. All right, fair enough. I mean, that, that should be a fun one again. I mean, Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady. I'm, I'm willing to, to go round two just the way they, they did it on the golf course, right? I mean, they went at it. Yeah. And they, they seem to be poking fun at each other on Twitter and on social media. Brady is, is trying to get, you know, under Aaron Rodgers' skin a little bit. And I just think Tom Brady probably had an influence on Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he saw what Brady did, right? He left, won a Super Bowl with a different team. You know, another superstar that felt disrespected by the Patriots and showed that, hey, I can do it without Bill Belichick. I can do it without the Patriot way. And I just think Aaron Rodgers probably saw that and kind of ran with it a little bit in his own way. So he was trying to pull that power trip as well. It didn't work. Obviously, he's here for another year. But I do agree with you. I think it's his last year in Green Bay. And the Jordan Love era will begin in 2022. We have to talk about another quarterback that suffered a serious injury during training camp, during the first week. And I'm talking about Carson Wentz. You know, the Indianapolis Colts traded for Carson Wentz. They reunited him with Frank Reich, who was the offensive coordinator with the Eagles when, you know, Carson Wentz had his best years. The Colts were confident that they can resurrect fix Carson Wentz and they were confident that he would be able to run their offense to perfection because he's run it before now he suffers an injury he has surgery you know the timetable is really long it's like you know some people are saying five weeks some people are saying 12 weeks so we don't know this is a team that hasn't addressed the backup quarterback position I mean they've got Jacob Eason and Sam Ellinger as their backup quarterbacks. Those are the guys, I mean, Jacob Eason was drafted two years ago in the fourth round. I mean, the Colts are in serious trouble right now without Carson Wentz. Yeah, the, uh, and it's, it's, this is a hard thing for the Colts fans to, you know, kind of take in because you know, this is a team that was, you know, really on the rise for the AFC. And the, the thing that makes this whole situation worse is, Whoever you have coming in to replace Carson Wentz is now without Quentin Nelson as well, their, their best football player on that team. He's, he's gone with the exact same injury as Carson Wentz. You almost have to go out and get very, very talented quarterback because he's not going to be, be sitting, sitting behind that very, very impressive offensive line. It's, it's going to look like a much different team, and I think that offense is going to have to be ran much differently. Um, you know, they're saying Jason, Jacob Eason is – you know, he's looking good at camp, and he's there, I, there's just no way that he's going to be the star for the Indianapolis Colts. You, you almost have to go out and, you know, do a Philly 2.0. Do you, do you go and get Nick Foles to run that offense again? Because he was with Frank Raggett as well. He proved that he can do it if, if needed. But, you know, his time with Jacksonville and with uh, uh, Chicago, they were nothing like his time in Philly. He looked like a totally different quarterback. And, you know, he's not that same quarterback they had. Um, in Philly. The Colts are in for a scary situation right now. Uh, Philip Rivers has mentioned that he may consider coming out of retirement. And do you have a better option than Philip Rivers right now if you're Indianapolis? He sat behind that offense for a year already. He knows the system. 
And if you don't go with Philip Rivers, you're going to have to get a guy with now limited training camp time to learn the entire system. And, you know, if you're a team that's almost complete as Indy, now you're just your quarterback away, you, you have a chance to make the wild card this year, and you don't want to miss out on that. So I think Philip Rivers right now, you know, even though he didn't have a, a very good season last year, he's your best option. I agree with you. I think the Colts, I mean, seeing that they didn't re-sign Jacoby Brissett, Philip Rivers retired. You you got to get on the phone and you got to get Philip back to Indianapolis because you can't feel too good about Jacob Eason being your starting quarterback there. That's not what you planned for. You didn't obviously you drafted him in the fourth round with the possibility of him starting down the line, but you brought in Carson Wentz. You didn't think that Jacob Eason was going to be your starting quarterback this year. Philip Rivers knows this offensive system. You got to get him in there even for half of the season. If you don't sign him for the entire year or whatever, I mean, just bring him in there. It would be much better than what you have right now. But I can't imagine, like, Nick Foles being traded to the Colts. Can you imagine that? Carson Wentz hasn't been the same ever since Nick Foles won that Super Bowl. You know, they've been teammates before. Say what you want. They can say all the right things. I mean, Carson Wentz can say that he's behind Nick Foles, but... Carson Wentz hasn't been the same quarterback ever since Foles won that Super Bowl. It got in his head knowing that he wasn't on the field for that Super Bowl to beat the Patriots. It would just be really weird if, you know, Ballard trades for Nick Foles and brings him in there because I think that could mess up Carson Wentz for the rest of his life. Yeah, no, I, I could definitely see there being some some hidden bad energy there, you know, like, Carson Wentz had that season where he was nearly MVP. If it hadn't been for the injury, he is getting MVP that year. And for Nick Foles to come in and, you know, kind of everybody kind of forgets about how good Carson Wentz actually was that year because Nick Foles was the guy winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, I I can agree with you that bringing Nick Foles back would be incredibly, incredibly weird. But, you know, the NFL is a weird league, and I I don't want to completely take that out of the picture. I've, I've heard uh, I've heard a few rumors about his name getting thrown around in trade contention, but like you and I just said, it, it definitely would be some very awkward energy between those two. It always makes me wonder. I mean, these GMs are a lot smarter than I am, and they they have a big time job. They they run the the team. They try to get the the best fifty three man roster on the field. But it always makes me wonder. The quarterback is the most important position on the field. And we always, like, Dak went down last year, and now Carson Wentz goes down this year. If your starting quarterback goes down, you need to have a capable backup. And it seems like the Colts just didn't have a solution. They didn't even think about it. But Carson Wentz had an ACL injury. This guy has been injury-prone. He hasn't stayed healthy for the entire 16-week season. He hasn't. A guy with his injury history, you would think the Colts would try to protect him. And you're telling me that your backup is Jacob Eason and you feel comfortable with it? I mean, it always makes me wonder. These GMs just don't think about the long-term solution. A starting quarterback can go down any time. Training camp, during a game, you need to have a very capable backup waiting for him. And I just, I feel like some of these franchises just don't really get it. You know, I agree with you. And like you said, Carson Wentz, you know, he's had that injury. He's probably one of the more injury-prone quarterbacks in football. And I'm not saying you're ever going to want to expect an injury, but with a guy like Carson Wentz, you have to be ready for the absolute worst-case scenario. And it's, it was the second camp of the of the year, and, he, you know, he's out for 12 weeks. And, 
you're you're not ready for that. Um, you know, the Colts almost they, they did that to themselves. You know, like that's one of the few players in the league where, or one of the few quarterbacks where you really, really have to invest a little more than you might want to in your backup quarterback just because of the situation being with his injury history. Are they going to have to trade for uh, a quarterback that's on the on the verge of you know losing their starting position or that just you know, what about Mitch Trubisky? He, he's a guy that's been a starter before, obviously was nothing impressive, but if you can't get Phillip Rivers back, you can't. What, what better options do you have than a guy that's at least been there before? You feel comfortable with Trubisky taking over, even for like two I, months? I, feel, I wouldn't. I feel comfortable with Trubisky over Jacob Eason. You know, obviously Phillip Rivers is my number one option, but I, who, who else are you going to get if it's not Phillip Rivers? Mitch has at least been a starter. He had the pro, quote-unquote Pro Bowl season, which was probably one of the worst Pro Bowl seasons for a quarterback ever. But still, you know, he's he's been in the starting situation. I don't think you have many better options unless you're going to go try to get one of the better backups in the league. I'm looking at, like, the first month of the season. I mean, who the Colts have to play in. They play the Seahawks, the Rams. They're at the Titans, at the Dolphins, at the Ravens. They play a cupcake in, in the Texans in Week 6. Then they play at the 49ers Week 7, Titans Week 8, Jets Week 9. You know, Week 10, you get uh, Jaguars. Week 11, you get the Bills. Week 12, you get the Buccaneers. So their schedule is is pretty tough. I mean, when you look at it, like out of the gate. I mean, like the first five weeks, you've got Seahawks, Rams, Titans, Dolphins, and Ravens before you get the Texan. You look at that situation, and I just can't imagine, you know, Jacob Eason walking out there as, as the starting quarterback. Even if he's your week one starter, I don't think he's going to be your week two or week three starter. Those defenses are going to beat up on him quite a bit. And I, I have a question for you. This is a complete hypothetical, but Trey Lance has been doing incredible at training camp so far. You know, if the 49ers, you know, if, if they're willing – do you go all out for Jimmy Garoppolo if you're Indianapolis? Another injury-prone quarterback? I mean, that would be a tough one for me. That would be a tough sell for me. So even if giving up like a day-two pick for Jimmy G, I mean, Jimmy G is another quarterback that can't stay healthy. There's no guarantee. I trade for him, and then he goes down in week two or week three. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo just... Is injury prone. Everything that's coming out from the 49ers, I mean, Trey Lance has been doing pretty well, but I do think they're going to keep Jimmy G. I think Kyle Shanahan knows this. I mean, he realizes that he's got a good enough team this year to possibly make it to the playoffs. He's got to have Jimmy G as his starting quarterback. He can't trust a rookie quarterback that just is still learning the system. So I think the 49ers will keep those two guys. As far as the Colts, it's not something that I would do. I mean, if you tell me a guy is is a shoe-in to start 16 games, if Jimmy G has has always been on the field, I would make that trade. But he can't stay healthy. He's always in the training room, and that that's probably not the guy. I would much rather go with Phillip Rivers, Brandon. I completely agree with you. This guy's always Mr. Durability. He's always on the football field. It's not pretty with his throwing motion. You know, he doesn't have much of an arm anymore. But he knows the system, he's a leader, and he can still, you know, win a game for you in the fourth quarter. So I think that's the only option that you have. Phillip, I think, has come out on record to say that 
hey, I might not play the entire season, but I would be open to coming back. And I just think the the fact that he was there last year, it makes too much sense. It makes more sense than bringing in Jimmy G or bringing in, you know, Nick Foles. Uh, I think that's the solution that the Colts need to go with. Any other training camp stories that have caught your eye here during the, the first week? One is just what's been going on with the Giants. You know, the NFC East is it's probably arguably the weirdest division in football. There hasn't been a repeat winner in, what, 15 years? So a division's always up for grabs. And right now I think it's between the Giants. They have – the second-best defense in that division, that offense, with the exception of Daniel Jones, is it's a pretty solid-looking offense. So being that team in a division that's always up for grabs um, and having what happened with the brawl, there was um, Evan Ingram retaliated on one of the defensive players that pushed, uh, gave one of the running backs a shove. Then Logan Ryan came and pushed Evan Ingram from behind, and then a whole brawl happens where you're starting quarterbacks on the bottom of the pile. If you're a team that has a serious chance to maybe make that wild card just because you're in such a weird division, I, I do think Washington is winning that division. But still, anything can happen. Really? You oh, do? I, I do. I think Washington is winning the NFC East, yes. Look, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I have a lot of respect for him. I mean, the, the things that he's done. But he's a journeyman quarterback. I mean, he can have like four weeks of perfect football and then he reverts back and has a couple of horrible weeks. He's a streaky quarterback, I would say. He's not the most dependable guy over a 16-week season. Uh, he's never been like the guy, you know, the starting quarterback. He's always been kind of the, the guy that comes in in relief of somebody else. But I look at that Washington roster, I mean, what gets you excited? Besides that defensive line, and I do give him respect, that defensive line is probably the best in football in general. But you need to have more than that. You need to have the back seven. You need to have, you know, the wide receivers. You need to have a running game. I don't know. I, I don't trust Washington. They, they did a great job last year. Alex Smith, you know, was, was able to, you know, lead them there. The inspirational story. You mentioned that. I mean, the NFC East never gets a repeat winner. I would much rather go with somebody like the Cowboys because – I don't know. Dak is coming back. They've got a great offense. They've got a good offensive line. I'm sure that defense can't play much worse because they've got another defensive coordinator. He's bringing in his own system that they're a lot more comfortable in. I think I would roll with the Cowboys here instead of the Giants or Washington. Dallas's defense, like you said, it was so atrociously bad. I mean, it was historically bad last year. and Can't be any worse. But if it, hey, but if it's the same as last year, I, I don't see them having any chance winning the division. I, I, I think Dallas absolutely is probably second in that division. But if you think bringing in Micah Parsons is going to completely change that defense, I can't see that happening. But I do. I think offensively they are by far the best team there. But you know, I don't. Uh, I don't want to discredit what Washington has. You know, kind of all of the offensive side of the ball. Um, like you said, Brian Fitzpatrick isn't any thing special or anything like that but you have Terry McLaurin who in my eyes is one of the most underrated and appreciated receivers in football Antonio Gibson who has an incredibly impressive yards per carry um, Logan Thomas who is one of the upcoming tight ends in the league um, it is a very very talented young offense with the exception of Fitzpatrick there's a lot of young talent in Washington a lot of 
uh, not very household names, but guys that are really making a young career out for themselves. You know, like you said, on the defensive side of the ball, I don't think there's a better defensive line in football, and I, I, I don't think it's close, actually. The secondary, yeah, it could it could have a little bit of work, but the secondary is not bad by any means. I'd say it's it's about average. And then you also bring in um, Curtis Samuel from Carolina, wow. who's another speedy another speedy receiver. Him and Terry McLaurin can honestly be one of the better better duos in the league, actually, in my eyes. I mean, Terry McLaurin is a more efficient receiver than DK Metcalf, and people don't even talk about him. I don't know. I'm not buying Washington at all. I. I... I think last year, you know, Ron Rivera did some magical things. He did. Nobody expected Washington to be in the playoffs, even though it was a 7-9 and nine team. I don't care. They made the playoffs. I had them winning like three or four games last year, okay? I thought it was a huge rebuilding project. You know, McLaurin is, is okay. Okay, he's, he's all right. Antonio Gibson still needs to prove himself a little bit. This is a guy that is more of a gimmicky player in my opinion and in this division they want to throw the football the Cowboys are going to throw the football a lot you know they will and they did it last year how are they going to guard those you know Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb the Giants also have you know they brought in Kenny Galladay I'm sure they're going to open it up with Saquon Barkley coming back and and Daniel Jones you know hoping that he will finally you know break out in year three you know the Eagles are in the rear out there, but I think I think Washington is going to have a tough time defending the pass in this division, and I think it's going to come back to haunt them a little bit. As much as I like the Cowboys, I'm down on Washington. Any other stories that you have been keeping an eye on? One that I've kind of it's not it's not a huge story, but one that I, I'm planning on keeping my eye on for sure is uh, Brian Edwards for the Raiders. He apparently has been like tearing camp up like no other else, and I've I've been reading a lot of things saying that he could be you know the the next star sleeper for this season in the league period. Um, and Henry Ruggs, uh, Ruggs you know has had a great off season. He put 13 pounds of muscle on. Um, he didn't have that season that we were expecting him to, but he's looked great in training camp. But Brian Edwards has looked better, and he he kind of came on a scene out of nowhere. And before he got injured last year, he was actually looking very very good played very few snaps but in camp right now he's just absolutely torching every aspect of every everything so I think that's a player that you you're going to want to keep your eye on throughout training camp and when the season starts you heard it here first I mean Brandon is keeping an eye on him and for all those fantasy football geeks go get Brian Edwards in the later rounds make him your sleeper pick and Probably he's going to pay off. The only thing that I've read about the Raiders in the past few weeks is that everybody's been quitting. They had like three players retire during like the first 10 days of training camp. And that says something. And also the Raiders have been firing a lot of people apparently in their front office. So I don't know what the hell is going on there with with John Gruden and, and Mike Mayock. And if the Raiders don't make the playoffs, I realize that Gruden is probably safe because, I mean, he commands such a huge salary. But Mike Mayock is going to be gone. They're going to be searching for another GM if they don't make the playoffs. No, I agree with you. I don't know if I can see them making the playoffs. So it's almost a guaranteed thing to me. That defense is still incredibly, incredibly young. You don't really have any 
you know, stud superstar players on the defensive side of the ball. That's that's a team that's that's going to be built off of chemistry and playing a lot of football together. It's not going to change because of the guys you have right now. I can't see the Raiders having an impressive season. Um, you know, offensively, they might put up some big numbers, but they won't be winning a lot of football games. And speaking of atrocious defense, I mean, the Cowboys were bad, but the Raiders were even worse last year on defense. Yeah. I mean, they were just horrible, Brandon. I mean, they couldn't stop anybody. I mean, they could score, and they've got Derek Carr and Josh Jacobs. And, and what the hell happened during the off season this year? I mean, they got rid of every capable offensive lineman that they had. Yeah, you lose Rodney Hudson, who is maybe old, but he's still, you know, one of the best centers, if not the best center in football right now. And that just shows, like you were mentioning, all the stuff going on this offseason, people retiring, people getting fired, quitting. There's a deeper problem in the Las Vegas Raiders locker room or, you know, staff. There's there's something going on, and I, I really think we'll see the effects of it come game time. All right, Raiders, it's time to get it done. For Al Davis... For all those, you know, Raider fans, it's time to to show us and the entire world that you're ready and, uh, you know, you can get into the playoffs. We'll see what happens. Thank you for listening to another episode of Blitzcast. Take care, everyone.